Lord, we pray that everything you've brought Dad here for tonight would be deposited on us as a church and in our hearts and lives. And that you would you bless him by being here and you bless us so much by hearing and receiving your spirit through him and his words tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks, God. Thank you. Thanks for that. It's really a privilege to be with you guys and I'm looking forward to... I was told you guys meet for anything from two to five hours. <laughs> but anyway, I just come out of Malawi and they work by the calendar, not by the clock. So we'll see how we go. But I was thinking about Butt uh, coming up and testifying about his bats and two thoughts ran for me. I got baptized in the same beach, Clifton, in 1973 for the Jesus People Revival. So that was uh, great to be back there this afternoon with you, Butt. I was also thinking about a Western. So I love movies um, and I saw this Western uh, country preacher in the Wild West, and he believed uh, that the way to overcome the problem of post-baptismal sin, which is an old issue that rose up in the early church, where um, they felt that uh, if you were baptized and you sinned after your baptism, then there was no more salvation for you. You, you blew it. <laughs> so what they used to do, it was the idea that baptism was like graduation, not initiation. So this was a heresy in the early church that they had to grapple with. And the way that um, this guy dealt with it in the Wild West was he'd have his uh, sawdust trail and get people to accept Christ and, uh, and they'd repent and, and then he'd, he'd baptize them and then he'd shoot them. <laughs> Finished. <laughs> and, uh, so that's why they hold you down for a couple of seconds. They were just trying to get you on your way quicker. But Praise God, being a Christian is not, is not a matter of arrival. It's a beginning of a journey, isn't it? And there are at least three tenses to our salvation when you first accept Christ and when you're busy accepting Christ throughout your life and becoming clothed in Him. And of course, when He comes back, then we are transformed in the final uh, consummation of all things. And uh, so it's great to be part of a body of people here that are uh, committed to the journey because we, we, we're journeying, aren't we? we uh, we're under construction. Tell your neighbor, you, you, you haven't seen the best of me yet. Okay? There's still more. Yeah, there's still more, there's still more. So it's great. I've just come out of Malawi, I'll go back Thursday night, and uh, privileged to have been working up there for about 14 years now, um, and sending teams and whatever, but uh, uh, it is a, a bittersweet time because I needed to go and bring another lap, another round to a disciplinary situation that we began to deal with about 18 or 20 months ago. So that was a bit hectic dealing with that. But I was very blessed to encounter a couple of people that really impacted me. And I thought I'd tell you about some of them before I preach about another person that I'd like to open up with you tonight. Um, <clears throat> I met a woman in a place called Cool Runnings in Senga Bay. Anyone been to Senga Bay? She runs this establishment called Cool Runnings. And she, she's a Rhodesian, comes from Zimbabwean, that was living in Cape Town for a season with her husband. And uh, he was killed in a botched hijacking right here in Cape Town. And uh, in her trauma and uh, reaction to all of this, she just went north. Ended up in Malawi, on the edge of Lake Malawi in Senga Bay, and started a lodge and a camping center, which is where I stayed. And I asked her to tell me her story, and she unfolded in a most amazing thing, how she had taken the pain and the bitterness and the confusion that came out of their history experience, and uh, decided not to let it shut her life down, but open up in a new place. And I said, well, what does it mean for you? What has it resulted in? And she began to give me a list of about 25 major things that she's committed to cultivating. And I thought if, if any of us were involved with just one of those, we would have thought our life was successful. 
I mean, she, she, was, um, she was managing and sponsoring four soccer teams, a bunch of schools, uh, clinics, um, a whole host of, I think it was about 25 major uh, developments that all came out of her trying to make good, come out of the pain and the robbery of what was meaningful in her life back there. And isn't that a lovely story? People taking um, what could have been bitterness into something that makes us better and more productive and, and refusing to let it shut us down. Hey? I was just very impacted by this. Her name is Sam. So if you ever, uh, you can probably Google her. She's Sam at, at Cool Running Singer Bay. How many Sams can there be in such a place? But uh, get a hold of her. She's just a lovely, lovely person. And she's a real make-it-happen woman. She, she, she kayaks with the rest of them. She goes with the guys around Lake Malawi and it's quite something. So she's very impactful. Other guy I want to tell you about is a guy called um, Elias uh, Banda. Well, there's a lot of Bandas in Malawi, I guess. So uh, Elias was a guy whom I met about 12, 13 years ago. He came and hung around the back of a crowd. We were running these uh, early conferences and training opportunities. And we were preaching the gospel, and in the middle of it all, part of a whole disciple process of about a week-long training, and there were hundreds of people there um, in those days. And we were, in the process of it, we, we taught about salvation, we also taught about tithing and seeing God as your supply and so on. And he was so impacted by the practical application of the gospel. And I didn't name at that time. He got on his knees at the back of the crowd, bearing in mind he was in the back because he was a hobo. Uh, he'd gone through some bad times, became bitter in his heart, and just left his family and just lived in the bush. Um, and found, heard the noise of this meeting and came along and stood at the back, heard the gospel, got on his knees and accepted Christ. All on his own, no one prayed at him. He just accepted Christ into his life and said, Lord, now that I've committed to you, this thing they're teaching about tithing, teach me how that works in my life. And he said, I don't know how you're going to do it because I don't earn and I don't have any money, I have no cash. And the Lord gave him the thought to pick up Tambala in the street. Tambala is a little coin. I'm not too sure of the currency. It's about, I think, about 10 Tambala to one kwacha. And I've just come back, so it's 35 kwacha to one rand. Give you some idea how much a Tambala is worth. So he began to pick up Tambala and use that to tithe and honor the Lord and bring not only tithes but offerings and, and to live in the extravagance and the adventure of faith. And it was a, a, a massively explosive experience in his life because with that, he began to realize that he now belonged to God. God was his father. And, and he was no longer a, a, a good-for-nothing hobo. In spite of the hard times he'd fallen into, uh, God was giving him back dignity. And, he, and so he, he said, Lord, could you clothe me differently? And the Lord said, gave him this idea, make some coat hangers. Hang them in your shack. He lived in a little grass shack. And uh, so he did. It took some wire, made 10 coat hangers. And in a couple of weeks, he had 10 changes of clothes, a shirt, a jacket, or a jersey, something on these, on these hangers. And um, he said, Lord, how about some more? And he made another tin. Eventually, the whole wall of his shack lined up with changes of clothing. And his dignity began to be restored. Now, I saw him um, a little while, uh, about a couple of years ago now. I forget the, the dates running into each other. And uh, at that, when I saw him then, he was, he was running a construction company of 40 employees. This is from a bush dweller, hobo, learning his dignity as the son of God, honoring God in the adventure of faith, living, faith giving. And, um, and then while, when I saw him now, he traveled with us. I met, met up with him in Lilongwe again. And I said, come and ride with us for, for two weeks. And he just jumped in the bus and, and rode with us. And uh, we had more and more time to talk. And he was very excited telling us that he'd, he'd had 10 kids in his life. And he'd gone back to his family, obviously, through all of this uh, salvation experience. Um, one had died in infancy, but the other nine 
had gone on to become hugely successful. Um, one was finishing high school. The other, other eight kids were either in varsity or had already graduated. Two were doctors and two others were trainee doctors. And the other four were professionals in other fields. This is from a Malawian bush dweller. God just turned it all around over the last 12, 13 years. Isn't that amazing? How he just takes a life and does good. I think of another woman I met. Her name was Mercy. Uh, I actually met her also about uh, uh, 14 years ago. She was in the first pilot group when we planted a church in Monkey Bay. It's the first vineyard we had up in there. And uh, from that uh, church, we planted a new church in Mvunguti. Caleb's been in, this, uh, in Mvunguti, a little kind of island peninsula place. And uh, she was part of that plant as well. We went and preached the gospel. She was part of that, that team that went over on the boat. We led seven people to the Lord on that island and um, baptized them. One of the guys was a guy by the name of Abraham who became a the, the pastor of the church that developed on Mvunguti. Mercy was married to a, a, an army officer in Monkey Bay. A very powerful, hard-driving kind of guy. And he felt like he was owed more in life than to have one wife. So he took a second and got into polygamy. And she said, this is not for me because all polygamy, and I just want to make it right up front there, uh, no matter what you think of Jake Azuma, I think he's bringing a curse on our nation with regard to the immorality and the adultery that comes in his polygamy. There's no way that God wants to bless that. And we just need to make a, wherever I can, I just want to make a stand for that. Or pray against it. That this, this, the silliness of it all would, would just be exposed. And uh, we can get righteousness back. So Mercy, Mercy was chucked out of the house because she objected to her husband's decision concerning taking a second wife. And uh, in her pain and her rejection, she went over about 100 k south to a village just outside Balaka. And, uh, and just turned the pain over to the Lord. Um, and she said, Lord, help me. Because I was talking with her now while I was up there. I went to the church that she's planted now. And she said, Lord, help me not become bitter because of my husband's betrayal. Will you turn this into blessing and not bitterness? And, um, and God gave her so much grace. Uh, she met another guy, Mr. Palombe. I don't know what his first name was. And she married this dude. And, and, and together, the two of them became a pastoral church planting couple. They planted an amazing church right there on the outskirts of, of Balaka. And it was just such a sweet experience. We had probably the sweetest worship we'd had the whole two weeks was in that, in that church with, with mercy. You just got a smile from ear to ear. And I was just impacted. She was a, a woman who, who, it must have been so painful to be married to such a prominent person who just rejects you as not good enough and wanting more. Um, and in, instead of letting it cause her life to shut down, again, she just opened up. And, and now there's this amazing church deep in the cotton fields outside Balaka. Um, and, and I guess there's just so many more stories that uh, just flow out of people just taking the grace of God and turning it to good in their lives. That everything that their lives uh, come across will, will result in, in gain. Now, there's a guy in the Bible that uh, you probably know his story, Joseph. Story of Joseph. If you track Genesis, you'll know the first couple of chapters of Genesis, just the creation account and man's messing up. And finally, God says, let's do this thing again. And he calls out in Genesis 12, he calls out a new man, Abraham. And Abraham comes into the picture. And from, from Genesis 12, we have Abraham, followed by Isaac, and then Jacob. And Jacob, in chapter 37 of Genesis, has a son, Joseph, his favored son. And in Genesis 37, 3, it says, Jacob loved Joseph. I love that statement. Because that, he, he was so profoundly loved by his father, he, he dared to dream. And he became a dreamer. And God spoke to him. And he, he wasn't only aware of his, of his natural father's love, he was aware of the heavenly father's love as well. 
And so he accessed the, the heart and the mind of, of his heavenly father in these dreams. Um, and when he was 17, he was given the task by his dad to go and, and uh, um, see how his brothers were being in the field. And you know how the story evolved. The brothers in their jealousy because he had these amazing dreams where he always came out on top. Um, you don't tell your brothers dreams like that. They don't receive it too well. So... Um, they sold him off. They nearly killed him, but they sold him off into slavery and began to live a life of deception towards, towards their father about this brother. And um, he was just mishandled and rejected and, and falsely accused, uh, sold on again and ended up in, in, a, in a Potiphar's house. Uh, and then was, uh, a, there was an attempted seduction by Mrs. Potiphar. You might remember the story early uh, Genesis 37, 38 or 39 around there. And, um, and how he just kept his heart as best as he could, faithful to his, to his God, to his Heavenly Father. Uh, and when he was in prison for the, on this false accusation, um, he helped them interpret dreams. The, the, remember the, uh, with the butler and the baker? And, um, and the dreams came true. And they uh, didn't help him out for two more years. He was stuck in this place. And uh, finally, um, it was because his interpretive dreams was given the opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And uh, what, a, what a great breakthrough that was. And uh, he was brought out and put in a place of prominence where the dream was a 14-year period, seven years of fat, seven years of lean. And, uh, and Pharaoh said, I like what I'm hearing. Will you manage this process? And he was put in place of, of prominence. That was the age of 30. So now 13 years have gone by between his rejection and his beginning of recognition. Recognition not by his family, not by his brothers yet, but by Egypt and, and others, Pharaoh. Um, it's very much like David's story, isn't it? Because David is also 17 when he was anointed by Samuel and 30 when he came to the throne. So, so Joseph's got a similar, similar life track to, uh, to David. And similar to Jesus also because uh, you know, he, was, he was falsely accused and rejected and all those things that happened to Jesus happened to, to, to Joseph as well. So we see all those things going on. But, but here's the deal. Joseph is on the throne managing on Pharaoh's behalf a dream, a plan that God had shown him. Seven years of, 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 uh, of fat, of, of, of uh, supply, of prosperity, followed by seven years of lean. And if you follow and work the plan, you'll come through this. And that's exactly what he did. Um, he, he began to be a man who can really dream. It made me think of, uh, and fulfill the dream with planning. It made me think of a, another woman. Um, her first name was Ruth. I was called into a counseling session in, in Palombi. Um, uh, the last night of this training conference we're doing and uh, uh, a pastor was there and a regional pastor of the vineyard in, um, in Palombi they said won't you just sit with us and counsel with this woman we don't know where to go with this thing so they opened her story to me and uh, she was married to a pastor in another village in Malawi but she said at the end of a whole week of just listening and listening to the gospel going out, she realized she could no longer keep secret what should be brought out because God is pushing her buttons about it. She needed to own the fact that she'd been unfaithful to her husband and that they had a child that was born out of her barrenness. Um, and that, in fact, her husband was not the father of the child. And no one knew about this. That she'd had an affair to fall pregnant. And... Uh, uh, and she, at the end of this conference, had come out of conviction that she was living a pretentious marriage. And what must she do about it? And uh, 
So what do you do with it? It's now the child is a couple of years old, um, and will this shatter the home, will this shatter the marriage? What do you do with this? And I know there are counselors will say, well, peace at any price. What he doesn't know won't hurt him. Um, and you can look at it from all those angles. All I know is that God sees. So God looks. And God doesn't want us to be pretending. God wants us to have authentic, heart-to-heart connection and run the risk that comes with transparency that puts us in a safe place. Um, and uh, we counsel for, I guess, an hour, hour and a half, all through interpretation. And uh, uh, as, we, as we did it, mean, I could see the kaleidoscope of emotions going through it. First of all, the bewilderment, the confusion, and then the heavy guilt that was just coming, and, and then the unburdening of that. And it just her eyes began to light up when she began to see that perhaps, just perhaps, uh, there could be a way out of the hell that she had created for herself, not just by the affair, but by the secrecy and what it had done to uh, the respect she should have had for her husband, and that she and the affection she wanted from him, and, and, and the estrangement had already come in at a subliminal level. Um, and and uh, we ended up praying with her, and she, she made a decision, a plan, to actually come totally transparent to her husband. Um, so won't you pray? Her name is Ruth. Pray for her. It's in a village called, uh, she comes from Ulongwe. And pray for them, because I haven't had the end of that story yet. I believe it will be good. I believe we're going to hear great news of a wonderfully restored marriage and of a family that comes in a new place. But here was the, the twist in the, in, the, in the tale of it. The, the, the father of this child was actually the, the husband's brother, younger brother. So that was just a massive complicating thing for her. So it was going to just, it could still bring a lot of complications. But I know that when you put things in the light, God is able to deal with it and, and take us through. When you work at it from a, a human manipulation point of view, there's no end to the complications and the complexities and uh, the confusion that comes. So pray for Ruth, if you will. Let's come down to something tonight. If we go back to the story of Joseph, I, I'm intrigued by that story. I, I've been meditating on it for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's been, it stuck with me. It seems like there were three phases that Joseph went through. Maybe you can relate to some of this. There's a dreaming phase, that early childhood where he just knows the love of his father and he's so secure in that as a, a type of, of, of God's fatherly love for him. And uh, somehow when you dream, when, you, when you're loved, you can dream more freely. And that's exactly what is going on for Joseph. More than the other boys, Joseph was convinced uh, that he lived in a safe earth because his father loved him. The, the sign said that his natural father, being a sign of the heavenly father, uh, loved him. And, and he, he was able to dream because of that. And so the first couple of chapters of Genesis 37, 38, 39 was all about Joseph and his dreams. And then began the second season of his life of the waiting because what he dreamed about was with all the sheaves bowing down and serving him and him really being in a place of recognition and dominion. And yet it wasn't fulfillment. It was a, it was a, a land between, between the dream and the fulfillment. And I think you and I might relate to that. Eh? We've heard God say some things to us, but between where we are and its fulfillment, there's this land between. There's this journey to walk. And Joseph's land was, a, was an extensive land. It was at least those 13 years of the rejection. And then even when he was on, as, uh, put on, on, in, in authority in, um, uh, in, in Egypt um, at the age of 30, he's, and, and managed for seven years, be, beginning to execute the plan that was given to him by the dream of Pharaoh, um, 
he still didn't see his brothers because it was good, good all around and they didn't have any need to come to Egypt. But somewhere in the last seven years, in the, year, in the seven years of famine, his brothers got hungry and began to come forward for help. So somewhere in those probably two to four years into the seven years, they came forward for help. So now we're talking about 13 years plus seven fat, that's 20 years. And probably three or four years later, so about 24 years after the rejection, he has the first interface with his brothers. Imagine having a land between of 24 years. Yeah. Huh? But knowing that what you saw or what you knew was right and God will vindicate you. Mm-hmm. And, and Joseph was such a person. Um, and some of you find yourselves often in a land between, haven't you? And you don't know why it's taking so long. But God is working um, not only on your behalf, but He's working within you to prepare you for what is to come, as He did for Joseph. Because you see, the final phase of Joseph's life was this huge challenge of how to live with forgiveness. And he was so, so tempted to work his brother's case. You remember how he nearly did that with little Benjamin, his younger brother, whom he hadn't met. He, he, He kind of put the bag of coins back inside and the silver chalice so that there could be an accusation of theft and to work the brothers over. But what he was trying to do to see, has their heart changed in this in-between time? Or were they still vindictive and jealous and whatever? He wanted to test their hearts. He came very close to executing executing vengeance himself on on his own brother. But God worked him over. And you know in the final scene, if you've seen Joseph's Technicolor Dreamcoat, the the drama, eh? Uh, the final scene where he, he just opens up to his brothers and he puts them in an side and he makes a disclosure and he says to them, you know, that great, I think it's one of the most amazing verses of scripture, Genesis 50 verse 20. He says to them, um, and by the way, that's the second round of forgiveness. We already forgave them in Genesis 45. And that's when Jacob was still alive. In Genesis 50, when Jacob dies, the old man dies, they think, well, now Joseph's going to let loose on us. He was only exercising forgiveness out of respect for his father. Now that Jacob's dead, brace yourselves, boys. Yeah, it's going to come. But in, in that second round of forgiveness, he says to them in Genesis 50 verse 20, what you purpose for evil, God intended for good. Amen. You know, it's a great scripture. God takes it and turns it for good. So what that does for us, you see, about two, two and a half years ago, God said to me, I want to, I want to take you to another level in understanding grace. And he began to reveal more and more stuff to me in grace. And he said to me, I want you to preach on grace until I tell you to stop. Yeah. And that hasn't happened yet. So <laughs> week after week after week, I'm re-examining everything I've ever stood for and practiced in my life through the fresh lenses of radical grace. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm digging into. And so I began to understand something about God's purpose as it relates to grace. Um, and meditating on that for a couple of weeks now, um, does grace take away the need for us to plan? Well, it didn't in Joseph's case. Not at all. In fact, he planned on God's grace. He planned on, on God's grace being sufficient and, and not having to take the things of, uh, in terms of control into our own hands. Grace sets us free from um, having to control all things, but it doesn't t- take from us the privilege of making plans. So... I did bring some notes. I should have looked at them sometime. Won't be helpful. <laughs> Clean forgot about that. Preach it. Eh? Just preach it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, thanks, man. Preach it. Uh, yeah. I was, I was looking at, uh, at Proverbs. Proverbs has some interesting uh, 
sayings about sluggishness. You're all aware of the sluggard. Yeah, go to the end, I'll slug it out. Thank you. You know that one, yeah, Proverbs 6. But how about a couple of Proverbs 34 uh, says, uh, The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the, of the diligent are fully satisfied. Or 20 verse 4, A sluggard does, does not plow in season, even misses opportunities. Uh, so at harvest time, he looks but finds nothing. Or 26.15, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but he's too lazy to even bring it to his mouth. <laughs> Um, you know, there's just something about knowing that you're loved that wakes you up, eh? Hey? Yeah. How many found that, eh? Hey? You fall in love and suddenly, man, you're there. Or you're tired at night, but when she walks in, she's come for a late night coffee, you don't mind staying up till three in the morning. Just love wakes you up, eh? Hey? You been there, eh? Hey? <laughs> Brad's getting ready to discover what that's about. Love wakes you up. That's what it does for us. I think of Adam and Eve when God, God saw that it's not good for man to be alone. And he said he made a woman for, 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 for the man. But what he did, he, he let him fall asleep while he shaped her. Then he brought it to him. And man's been awake ever since. He just, wow, you know, woo man, as he named her. And uh, just this whole awakening that came into his life. Um, and just there's something about love that really is a massive wake-up call. Love doesn't lull us. True grace radicalizes your life. Without it, who uh, was it? Karl Marx, I think, who talked about uh, religion being the opiate of the masses. Religion dulls you, but grace awakens you. Your senses are awakened. The opportunities are awakened. You live to the presence of the now. Your God is Yahweh. I am. He's not a, a God who wants to just lull us in, in religious norms and traditions and <clears throat> false security. Yeah. He, he wants to radicalize us with a, with a love that is beyond description. He lavishes us with His love. So there's just something profound about that um, that just really awakens us. The other thing I, I think we, we find out about love, what it'll do for us, it preserves us. It gives us staying power. Uh, when you know that you're loved, uh, there's just something that uh, helps you to keep on keeping on. Um, and, and you don't quit. It takes you to the end. And there's uh, so much you can teach on all that from the scriptures. But the third thing I want to say about love is that love empowers our planning. Love calls out and invites planning. Because when you know that you love, you start making plans about that. You start working out what this is going to mean. How can we take this love to its full expression? Um, <clears throat> what does it mean for us? For us to knit our lives together and give full expression to this love. Now, this is true of marriage, it's true of good friendship, and it's certainly true of our faith and our love with God. When, you, when your life in God is not a religious matter, but a, but a relational love affair, it's going to radicalize you, and here's the deal. <clears throat> As opposed to those who would say that because we're saved by grace, hey man, just float along, just let, it, let life come to you. You actually want to reach out and take hold of it. Yeah. You remember the story that, that, that probably the most... The loveliest story, I guess, in Scripture, the two, the two boys, the oldest and, and the, the older brother and the prodigal son. Uh, the older brother's statement is so telling. He says to the father in rebuke, Look, I've served you all these years, but you never threw a party for me. So what's with this vagabond brother that comes home and has wasted it, and, and, you, and you celebrate that? And, and the father says to him, Son, all that I have is yours, has been all along, but you never accessed it. 
You never made a plan to access it. You always postponed it. You were so busy serving that you never took the trouble and the time to enjoy it. You never planned on what I have. And grace, grace brings the party to us now. It's not uh, pie in the sky when you die by and by, as we say. Huh? It's steak on your plate while you wait. It's for the now. There's a nowness about the kingdom. It's for now. And love awakens you to that. It's a powerful thing. And if, you, if you're in love, you're willing to make the plans to let love come to its full. I remember when I, um, Colleen's away. She's, she's off in Canada, so I arrived back to a wife that's gone for two weeks. So pray for me. I'm going through a couple of weeks. Yeah. Of being, we've never been apart for 21 days in our lives. So it's the longest we've ever been apart. Other than we were courting. I was in Graham'side at, at Rhodes, and she was here nursing at Karina's uh, and Kritiskir and so on. And for three years we were separated, but it was before we were married. But since we are married, I think the longest was 19 days before. So this is an interesting challenge. Um, Helping Jesus, you're right. Eh? <laughs> but I was, I was reflecting on this because when I went and asked her father, who's a, a very, very successful sheep farmer in the crew, for the hand of his daughter in marriage, he worked my case. This guy worked me over. And I learned something from that. I worked Hannah's, my daughter's fiancé over just recently for a couple of kilometers up the beach. So, because I remember how valuable that was. As the old man de Villiers took me and he said to me, Now, you want to marry my daughter? I know you guys, you're in the Methodist ministry. That's where I was at the time. You guys get paid peanuts. I don't want my daughter to be raised like a monkey. So how are you going to support her? <laughs> how are you going to support her? Uh, I said, well, how can I convince you that I will be as faithful as I know how? He says, no. He says, don't bring me the pedigree, as we say in the vineyard. Bring me the puppies. Show me the substance. He wanted something substantial as evidence that I was going to... I thought he was like negotiating the bolo or something like that. So. Anyway, uh, he made me go and buy two, uh, two endowment policies. Now, I wasn't, I was a student at the time, I was a theological student and um, I didn't have any money. But I went and took out these policies at Sunlum and I paid six rand ten a month for the one policy. And at last, and, and I, I took out two, he wanted, he wanted substance, you know. And the second one was five rand twenty two a month and it's lasting for 45 years. So the first one is 25 years, and after 25 years, she got enough money out of that to go with, with Jen, uh, your, your mom, and they went on a, on a tour, off to Dubai and the UK, and had a ball, because it's her money, I paid for it. I just keep reminding her, I'm still paying her off. And then I'm 10, what, 11 years to go before she gets the second, but I, I thought about this, because on Friday I picked up my mail, and there was a, a, a report from Sunlam that this 5 rand 22 months is now valued at 29,000 rand. So I know it's building, it's got another 11 years to grow, so she's in for a, a thing. Uh, but I'm telling you that, because I was willing to make plans to fulfill my love yeah. for Colleen. Love motivates planning. It's not opposed to planning. Mm. But there's three hindrances that will get in the way of that. What will prevent us? What will prevent us letting love uh, manifest in planning? Well, the one is denial. Uh, <clears throat> where we deny there's a need for anything to be different. And we're just going to coast along and let it be. And no change will ever come because we, we, deny, the, of, we deny the need for change. The other is passivity which uh, works like this, that if God really loves me, then He'll give me all good things and I need to just sit back and slob it out and it'll just fall on my lap. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, you know, I'm single, 
but uh, I want to be married one day, and I know that if God wants to be married, then He'll bring Mr. Right or Miss Right into my life. Well, how about you shaping up and becoming the kind of person that would be attracted to Mr. Right and Miss Right in your life? How about making the full use of the season of your life uh, and using things where you are right now to the max uh, and, and not just acquiescing in passivity? I just want to say that grace awakens us and passivity is the enemy of the fulfillment of grace in our lives. Watch out for the trap of passivity. I'm not knocking anybody when I say these things, but here's the third one, and that's the trap of instant gratification. Because if you're committed to instant gratification, you, you, will, uh, you, will, you, will, you will not be willing for delayed gratification, which comes on planning, where you plan ahead. Like I say with this, these two diamond labola policies that I would take out of Sunlam, it's a forward planning. I don't mind, it's the price of a newspaper today, 5 and 20 or something a month. It's a... Easy newspaper, hey? I've got a wife for that. I've got a bargain. <laughs> well, at the time, it was a serious commitment as a student. You got zero money coming in. I mean, all of 11 rand something a month, you know? But truth is that, that grace helps us to be motivated for planning. And uh, it's been said that if you, if you aim it at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. How many of you ever try to shoot at the wall? And then you hit it wherever, on, wherever you want it on the wall. And you go and draw the target around it afterwards. Eh? Uh, <laughs> often we like it. It's been said, of, I, I took a quote down here from a guy who was the right-hand man to Winston Churchill. He was the chief of staff to Winston Churchill. He said, Winston had 10 fresh, great ideas every day, one of which was really good, but he never knew which one it was. <laughs> so he would try all 10 every day and one would work on the average. I think that's great leadership. The willingness to risk nine failures to get one success. Why not? Have a go. You never know. I mean, have, who are the disciples in the boat? Huh? Huh? The disciples in the boat with Jesus. And, and he comes, well, in the boat. And Jesus walks them on the water. Peter, one out of the twelve, says, Lord, if it's you, tell, call me. I want to just hear your voice. And he says, come. And one word gets Peter out of the boat on the adventure of walking on the water. The other 11 slobs, what were they doing? Sitting back, marveling at this thing, chewing their nails or whatever they were doing. But the fact is they never had the adventure that, that Peter had because he risked it. What is the worst thing that could happen? He could get wet. So he took a risk on it. Grace does that to us. It invites us to live on the cutting edge. And, and uh, how do we get there? Well, by making plans. You've got a Bible there. Just go through quickly. I want to show you some stuff in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Are you guys okay still? Yeah. I don't know. How do we, what time do you normally end? I was kidding just now. I don't know. Huh? We're okay. Well, you all start coughing and I know it's time to land. So just. Okay, Proverbs 3. Let me show you a couple of things out of Proverbs 3 here. That, uh, just uh, verse 20, 21 through to... 26. My son, uh, lights, should have my headlamp here from there. <laughs> Can you read that for me, brothers? Uh, 21. Oh, yeah, we go. My son, preserve son. Hey, look at that. Thank you. This is NLT 141. Yeah, NIV. Thanks. There you go. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. There will be life for you, an ornament of grace your neck. 
Then you'll go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Just a, a summary of a couple of things that's come out. If you make planning, good grace-based planning, you're, you, fill, you're, you're, this planning will fill you with life, with honor and respect, safety from stumbling, uh, help you sleep better at night. How many battle to sleep? Huh? Anybody? Uh, you're not that generation yet, all right? Okay. Prevent you from fearing pending disaster that you don't know about. Um, you have the Lord coming on, on board like legal-wise, being your advocate. He's going to advocate for you. Um, and it keeps you from falling into a trap. And you know, there's just so much that we could say about, um, about the value of, of making good plans. Um, I jotted down some, some thoughts here about practical applications concerning planning. Can I just run this by you? Some of you might want to, you, you want to think about some of these things. One has to do with timing. Uh, you need to discern the time. Where are you at? What's the most appropriate plans you can make in this given time? So here's some thoughts about the timing factor in planning. Beware not to move too easily, too soon, too early before God. Watch for the timing of God. Don't go ahead of him. Don't get an Ishmael when you could be having an Isaac laughter. Okay? Um, there are also times of waiting. Secondly, there are times of waiting. Waiting is not wasting. Joseph had to wait. And just because you're waiting doesn't mean that it's wasteful. Um, David waiting at Ziklag. He was 13 years in the wait. Finally came to the throne of Hebron for 7 years and then to Jerusalem for 33 years. Um, also, there are times of testing. And testing is not necessarily judgment. It's, it's the time of, of strengthening. It's a time of calling out. Um, also remember that though it might start small in, its, in the timing scheme of things, do not despise the day of small beginnings, as Zechariah warns us. Yeah. Something that starts small may be purposed in God to be small because He wants to get it right in the foundational phases. Because it's embryonic, it's microcosmic. And the macro will come later. Um, and then, yeah, in, in the timing fact in particular... Seek to avoid pressurizing each other um, or, or relieving pressure prematurely from each other. You know, when you want to cut open a cocoon to let the little moth come out, you may be doing it a disservice. It's maybe got to struggle its way out. It, it, the, the very nature of the struggle, of the emergence, is, is, is what it needs for further survival. Yeah. And if you help it prematurely and if you help each other, Prematurely, you could retard each other's later de strength development. That's why Galatians 6 says, you know, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's verse 2. But verse 5 says, each one shall carry his own load. We need to find the balance in that thing. There are times we need to step in and intervene with each other. There are other times we need to allow each other to take ownership of our responsibilities. I mean, if I want to get fit, you can't take my club membership for the gym. And going train for me. It's not going to help me, is it? You know, how many find out that to get fit, you not only need to take out membership, you need to actually use the thing. You need to go there. And you can't go there on behalf of somebody else. I can't get fit for you. So we need to watch out for the, the pressure factor that we don't prevent it uh, producing what it needs to. 
Also in terms of time, there are times of change. There are seasons when change is very much in the air. Grab those times. Grab them and use them well. There are special times where there's grace for change. More than other times it appears. So use those times well. There's also something we need to know about timing. There's what we call in Scripture the, the day of His power. God, you know, doesn't move fast or um, He's not known to be panicked about His timetable. And He sometimes seems to be very slow about it. But He's able to come immediately. There's a day of His power where He suddenly comes. And you, you do a study sometimes if you've got an opportunity to take a concordance. And study the word suddenly in Scripture. You'd be quite surprised how often it relates to how God shows up. Suddenly He's there. And he breaks into our lives. So let me just go on some practical points about planning well. Grace-based planning. And uh, this is true for your marriage, true for your business, true for your relationships, true for you as a church, true for us as citizens in, in this nation. How do we how do, we do life um, as, as Christian citizens in a, in a land with a, the uh, kaleidoscope of challenges such we have, as we have in South Africa? So here are some ideas that might just help us as we think about grace-based planning. Um, you become what you spend time on. So look carefully at what, you, what saps your time. Because what you spend time on is influencing you. It's shaping you. So work with the issue of time well concerning plans. Then realize that planning determines values and expresses values. Um, especially it determines the value of, what you, of, of your time. How you use that well. What you, how you plan to do that. Um, I came into this year with a conviction that I needed to plan margins in my life. I, I didn't have, I wasn't ever bothered with margins. I planned events and uh, things back to back, flat out. They would overlap, in fact. And, uh, and I realized God, God convicted me. He said, what, you, what you're planning for here is, is that life has become a Martha experience and you need to take time to savor the moments. How many know that a good meal needs a quiet co coffee on the veranda afterwards? You don't rush from the one good meal into the next. There needs to be a time to let it mellow. Huh? And, and we need to experience that for ourselves. Um, <clears throat> everything that God creates, He vests with purpose and capacity. Everything that has been created has been vested with purpose and capacity for its fulfillment. God doesn't make anything without a purpose and the capacity for, to fulfill that purpose. Everything that God creates... You are not an experiment. You're not a mistake, certainly, and you're not an experiment. You've been purposed in God. You know that scripture in Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. And, and, and he says that even this faith is, although it be a condition of our salvation, grace be the source, faith be the condition, even this, this faith is a gift, not of works which any man should boast. But verse 10 of that chapter says, for we are God's workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for life of good works, that is prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um, and the translation that workmanship is, we are God's work of art. Jenny, as an art teacher, would appreciate that. We're, God has looked at us and He says, that's my piece of art. Yeah. Uh, you're a piece of art. Um, glad I'm not joking, you're spear art. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. <laughs> Okay, another practical thing that helps us just understand, when you talk about planning, success needs to be freshly redefined. And success is measured by what you, you're supposed to do. Not by what you did, but by your purpose. By your intended purpose. The success 
Um, it's not if I, if I pull out a rifle and I shoot that wall. It's not the fact that I hit the wall, but I hit, did I hit the target on the wall? Did I, did, I, did I bring down that buck? Did I bring down... What is it that you guys shoot in soccer? I won't say any more about that. There's <laughs> <laughs> not supposed to preach about that. Cats. Cats. Wild ones. And then... Plans... Um, plans involve change. They invite change. And plans themselves may change. And that's okay. That's okay. Because as you go along the way, you discover that uh, we could improve on this. So be open to change. So the plan is not locked in. Uh, so the end goal is what's kept in mind. Rather than being fixated on the way you were supposed to travel it. And I know that we are supposed to not only arrive, we are supposed to enjoy the journey. But while we're enjoying the journey, if we can arrive better, let's do better. Let's not say, well, we've always done it this way, so that's the way we're always going to do it. It's the seven last words, most famous words of a dying church. We've never done it that way before. So you stick to what you know, and it can, it can knock you right out. We need to be constantly open for change. And then, um, every purpose is achieved by a plan. So if you're committed to the purpose God has for your life, then make the plan that will help you get there. Um, and this is because of grace. So I want you to understand that grace doesn't take away the need for planning. In fact, planning authenticates and validates and accesses the benefits of grace as God intended it for us. And, and with that, we discover next one that goals are an integral part of, of a plan. Uh, we need to have uh, interim goals as well. So by such and such, this is what we will be planning to achieve, and then achieving that, and then and that. And so you set interim goals along the way that are like milestones by which you can measure your journey and the success of your timing and of your uh, strength usages. Um, the other factor about planning on a grace basis, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, what we are saying as we live in grace, that Lord, we want to live daily with your constant recurrent provision um, and God doesn't want us to live tomorrow now he wants, to live a, wants us to live on a daily trust in him a day by day um, dependence on his intervention but plan on that imagine you were a trapeze artist and you could try all kinds of things because there's a safety net if you were called to be a trapeze artist without a safety net do you think you might be a little tad, just a tad more cautious and, and, and God's love for us is, is that safety net. He says, I want you to have a, a ball of your life as you swing from one adventure to another in, in the circus that I've put you in. <laughs> I want you to have... And He says to you, my grace will be sufficient. So have a go, you never know. <laughs> he says that you can have a mistake on me. If you miss, you miss one grip, don't worry, I'll catch you. And I'll flip you back up and you'll catch it the next time around and you'll carry on. Huh? I mean, that's awesome when you can start living like that. You see, another practical thing about planning. You see, to, to make a plan is to take a tour of your future presently. When you plan out, you, you're touring the future it's like when you're planning a safari or some, some trip coming up. Um, you, you, you're really having a preview of what's to come on paper, yeah. in prayer. And you're previewing it. 
And you're holding it before the Lord lightly because you're not defined by your plans. Yeah. How many of you saw that movie Spanglish? Yes. I love chick flicks every so often. I'm giving you that to confess that. Spanglish was a lovely story of this Mexican, Spanish-speaking woman who was trying to raise as a single parent her daughter in English-speaking America in the southern part of California. And um, she was having a hard time, but she battled her way through and got through. And this daughter is finally writing off to American colleges for acceptance. And at the bottom of, of the application, she writes to this college. She says, your acceptance of me would thrill me, but not define me. I thought, that's a profound statement. Yeah. Huh? And I've, ever since I saw that, I've been thinking, what defines me? What do I, you know, what do I lean on for definition? Yeah. And if I lean on anything other than the love of God, who's attached value to my love, I've got an idolatry. Jonah 2 verse 8 says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. When I'm defined by God's statement over my life, that's more profound than any accolade I could get from this academic achievement or marrying the most beautiful woman or driving a car or having the arm that hangs out the window that everybody glows at. Whatever, whatever it is that the size of your wallet or house you live in or whatever it is that defines you. You know, the longest hair, the shortest hair, the, whatever it is, I don't know what defines it. Brand name, clothing, you name it. Things that people look to for definition. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. When God defines you, it's a different deal altogether. Uh, so Jeremiah 29, 11, hey? the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare, not for calamity, plans to prosper you, that you might have a future and a hope. Jeremiah 20, 29, 11. And um, let, me, let me come in here. So, so practically, what is this going to mean for you? Grace-based planning is going to lead you to three things. And I'm going to land with this. Okay, so here's, here's three closing statements. If you want to live accessing all the grace that God has lavished upon your life, letting it not be wasted, but live to the full. And you want to access all the benefits of being a son or a daughter of the Heavenly Father. Then there's three things that you can do about it. The one is, give yourself a red dot moment. Take stock. Where are you at right now? In any area of your life. Your attitudes, your finances, your career, your relationships, uh, your country, your society, your neighborhood, any area of your life. Take, a, take the freedom and the, and the responsibility to have a red dot moment. Like if you're lost in a, uh, on a journey, or in, with a shopping mall, or let's say like Malawi, you pull out the map and you say, well, where am I now? You find it, your red dot reality. Uh, because that'll break the denial. Say, so, I don't want to be here, I want to be there. Well, you, got, you can't get there unless you know where you are now. Yeah, yeah. So have a red dot reality. Have the courage to say, I am actually here. I'm actually here. Got an alcoholic in our church who um, came under conviction that things needed to change. A couple of bandits with him and exercised a tough love group around him. And he said, thank you so much for that. He, and he went public um, in, in declaring his, his need to break this, this, this thing and uh, get free of it. Um, and he said, look, I know not many would want to do this publicly, but I need huge accountability. He asked the hundreds of us that were present, every one of them, to hold him accountable for a new season. He said, I wanted the biggest red dot reality I could ever get in my face. So I want you all to know 
I am an alcoholic. That's my red dot reality. But I also want you to know that I'm not going to be this way forever. Amen. So that takes us to the second thing. And he did this. He gave us a sense of his destination. Determine where you want to be. So start by acknowledging where you are. Break the denial of whatever the issues are in your life by owning it. And then become clearer about your destination. Where is it that you want to go? So we were in Malawi. There's a petrol crisis. They've shut all fuel stations down. They're reserving the last bit of fuel for the army. This is just last week on Tuesday. Uh, and Charlie, everything's down and, and no fuel. So we're stuck in cool runnings in Senga Bay with this lady I told you about at Sam's place. And uh, how do we go from here? We, I said to the guys, look, we've got to go to Cutter Bay. We're committed to going. There's a village we've got to get to in Pampa. We're going to go. So prayed about it. Found a guy at 30 liters of fuel for us on the black market. It's just enough to get us up to Cutter Bay. The guys on my team said, you're crazy. You can't go and knowing there's no fuel there to come back. I said, when we pray the Lord's prayers, give us this day, our daily bread. So we've got enough fuel to get there. So let's work it out from there. And some of the guys are having nervous breakdowns. They think we're going to get stuck in Malawi. They're not going to get back their wives. And they said to me, David, we don't go back to our wives. You history. <laughs> anyway, they were carrying on to me. I said, well, I'm, I'm peaceful. My wife's in Canada. So you guys are still, I'm relaxed. It's all okay. <laughs> anyway, so we get up to... Uh, well, I'm silly about that. That was an interesting journey. Just uh, 300 kilometers from Sengabadik and Karabay. There's so much, so little money in Malawi right now and no fuel. There are 12, I counted 12 police, what I call fundraising roadblocks. Every 25 kilometers, there's another stoppage, and they would interrogate, investigate, and take like 20 minutes talking through each single one. And everyone's asking the question, so what are you going to do for me? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's bribe. It's, it's an interesting word in Chichewe for corruption and bribery. It's Katangali and Zupupu, which is a good word. <laughs> They're asking for Zupupu. So, <laughs> anyway, we finally get there, and on the night before we left, I'm praying now because these guys are going to take me out. The message breaks that the fuel trucks have come to Mzuz. So at 3 in the morning, we're up and we're in. Before we enter Mzuz and we get a full tank of gas, we come south. God is good. He brought the girls home, and I'll still laugh to tell the tale. But I know this, that if you're going to make a plan, own your red dot reality, and secondly, get excited about your destination. Because if you have a why, you'll endure anyhow. Determine the yeah. meaning, the purpose for which you live. Yeah. In every sphere of your life, where do you want to be? What needs to be different? Own it. And then the, the, the third element of this is uh, strategize the journey. What are you going to need along the way? What interim steps are you going to take? How are you going to move from here to there? Uh, work it out. Put steps in place that will help you to transition from where you are to where you need to be. You know, it's been said that a diary is history, but plans are the future. And, and a plan um, gives, gives God something to direct, as we laid out before Him. Many of the plans in a man's heart, but their fulfillment is from the Lord. Proverbs 19. Huh? We trust God's sovereignty in it all. We trust His is, is gracious sovereignty that is out there um, working on, on our behalf. I just really feel like the Father is, 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 is longing for His children to rise up and say yes to much more of His grace than what we've said yes to. Now, we've like rationed ourselves in case we consume it all, in case it runs out. Eh? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, and he's wanting us to know, listen, the fuel trucks will be there in time. Don't worry, man. It's going to be enough. There'll be enough for every step of the journey. It's like there'll be manna for every day. That's why Jesus used that same analogy. Give us this day our daily bread. And sometimes in our nervousness, we try and store up the manna for the next day. And all it gets is worms. Yeah. You can't run tomorrow on yesterday's manna. It won't do you any good. You'll have worms. You've got to learn to live on a daily sense of reliance on God being good for you. And He's going to come through for you. He's not going to drop you halfway. He's going to come through. And some of you are in places in your lives where stuff's gone down that you, you've, you've tried to be brave about, but God wants you to own it now. And own it before Him and in company of others. In such a way that you get the courage from the love, the fellowship, the grace to make a plan about the destination and begin to dream of a destination. How many saw that movie by Tom Hanks, Castaway, some years ago? Where he's stuck on that island with that, was it a basketball? Wilson, eh? Wilson ball. Wilson. What, eh? Wilson, yeah. yeah. And he talks to Mr. Wilson. <laughs> Kept him sane for eight, I think eight months or something. He was stranded on this. You know what? I think we need Wilsons in our lives, eh? Every one of us needs a Wilson at least. You need someone who will hear you out. The blessing, Wilson never spoke back at him. So she could, but we need people who will reflect and, and help us dialogue and engage in soul talk that unpacks the recesses of our souls so that we live authentically. Yeah. So one of the reasons I came down, I just want to meet with Luke and Cal and their wives and just have some soul talk time. I just feel like it's, sometimes we live so past each other, it's got time just to connect. Um, and it's just, just to make that happen, make a plan and, and access it. Uh, and some of you are in a place in your life where you have not wanted to admit your red dot and you've also been afraid to paint a picture of what your destination could look like. And so because of those two deficiencies, you haven't had the courage and the wisdom to develop the journey. And so you're, you are what we call an underdeveloped person. <laughs> I'm not putting one down and I'll say that. I'm simply saying there's much more to you, like I said in the beginning, than what is presently on that seat. There's much more. Much, much more. Mm. Mm, we, we're unfolding, unwrapping all the time. Eh? When you receive a fresh baby into your life, uh, it's a gift. Not that you are necessarily going to shape, but you're going to help unpack. Good parenting is unpacking. Unpacking in such a way that we let that, that baby come in God's design to the full intention that God planned for that child. Mm. We don't mess with it. We're not going to distort it. We're going to be uh, delegated agents on God's behalf, helping the child discover the purpose for which he or she was created. And some of us, because of the wounds and things that have happened to us along the way, have been messed up. But here's the closing comment. This is good news for us. I don't have any cash on me now, but let's say I took out a 100 rand, 100 rand note. And I took that note and I spat on it and I crumpled it and I stood on it and uh, wiped the floor with it and whatever. And then I opened it up and I said to you, how much is worth now? It's like 100 rand. Nothing that is done to that note diminishes its value. And I want to say to you tonight, no matter what has happened to you or around you, your value is not determined, you're not defined by those things. Your value is determined, your value, in the case of the 100 note by the governor of the Reserve Bank, 
Well, the governor of your reserve bank is God Himself. Amen. Who set a value on your life and declared it for God so loved you that He made a plan. I said, I'm going to send my son. He's going to go in. He's going to redeem them. I've got to pull him out of that lot. I want them to rise up and become the fullness which I intend them to have dominion over in the beginning. So Jesus has come to reverse the curse and give us back the dominion that Adam and Eve lost because they ate the apple. One way we know that Adam and Eve were not Chinese because they would have thrown away the apple and eaten the snake. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God that... Uh... <laughs> anyway. Here we go. Yeah, who's got a red dot reality that you need to own? You're not happy. There's something gone down in your life. You said, I need to know that this is not the way it's intended always to be. Something needs to change. Anyone own a sense of a red dot that you're willing to stand for? Why don't you stand up? Anyone else? You, 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 can, you can say, this, this thing I want to have a red dot reality about. I'm not going to ask you to tell us what it is, by the way. So you can tell your own Wilson if you like. <laughs> Anyone else can... There's an area of your life you, you need to say, yeah, Lord, that's true. Uh, I want to take ownership of this. This is my red dot. I want to come out of denial. And I want to know that, Lord, what has been is not the way it's always going to be. And I'm going to ask you to show me a clear picture of destination and of the steps of the journey. And you want to exercise grace-based planning as you go forward. the Lord, just uh, present yourselves to Him. I think the Father just wants you to know that He delights in your courage to have a red dot moment with Him. He's known about it anyway. He's known all along about that area of dissatisfaction, discontent. He's known about it. But he loves the fact that you're willing to confess it. So Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your grace that makes this place a safe place. That before you we can own these areas of discontent. And we are here, Lord. We are here. But we know that you've purposed us to be different. Now, as you just stand with that, and it's a good place to stand. It's a place of humility. It's a place of reality. You're coming out of pretense. You've been brave up to now, but the Lord is saying, let's just be real. I want to pray. Holy Spirit, would you now just begin to paint a clearer picture of where that could be? Help us to know what the destination looks like. Just begin to dream a dream. Become a Joseph or a Josephine. Dream. The dream that God has for you. With regard to that particular area you're thinking about. Allow Him to work creative in your imagination. God is able in His great love for you to exceed everything you could even think or imagine. So He does empower our imagination. So allow Him to empower your imagination right now. 
about that area, be it a relationship or the longing for one, be it in the financial realm, be it in personal development, something pertaining to your career, the space in which you live, your home. Dream a dream. Lord, right now, just release your spirit upon every single person that is holding out before you. Give them a picture of the destination. What do you see there? Just allow your mind to visit it. What do you see there? What do you see? What does it look like? Who's there? What are the people? What are the places? What are the activities that are taking place in your destination? Get excited about it. Dream it. Dream it. Allow the dreams to begin to flow. Thank you, Lord. We bless what you're doing right now by your Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your, your presence. presence in this place. Your presence with us in our dreams, our longings. Mm. And now Lord, I pray for incremental wisdom. Give us steps we can take. What's the first step? How does this journey look? What changes are you calling for? What can we do about it in the next hour? Or the next day, or the next week, or the next month, over the next three years, what can we do? What steps do you want us to take to move from our red dot to the destination of the vision you have for us? What are the steps God is, is showing you that He wants you to be willing to take? celebrate you Lord, celebrate you. Thank you for the adventure of your grace and the gift of faith. If things begin to shape up for you, I want you to do what the Lord told Habakkuk to do, is to write the vision. Write it down. Make notes of what God is saying to you. Date it. That he who reads it can run is what God told Habakkuk. That you will not get confused and and forget what it was that God showed you. Because in the night time of the implementation, sometimes you could forget what you saw in the daytime of God's revelation. So hold on to the revelation so when the times of challenge and testing come, you don't forget the purpose for that journey. You can press through the night and know that joy will come in the morning. There will be a sunrise. There will be a new day. And what you're going through is just an interim phase. It's coming to pass. The darkness is not yet to stay. And some of you have been very, very challenged. You've been on this journey already. But some of you have been very challenged. It's been like it's been a long wilderness. But understand this, says the Lord, that though you've been tested, the testing is for a season and for a reason. And when my reason is accomplished, the season will end. Rest in my love for you, says the Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. I feel like the Father is just really wanting to, to save you tonight. That uh, He calls you out. He calls you out to take on life. Calling you out to have confidence in His love for you. So that your competence can rise. He's made you competent. He's made you cap capable. There's more to who God is in you than what you've yet discovered. More creativity. More strength. More wisdom. More laughter. More relational ability. More wisdom. Father, we bless what you do. We bless what you're doing in all of our lives this season. Thank you for the privilege of being fellow travelers, moving from red dots to uh, destinations. Thank you for the things you're doing in each of our lives. I want to pray especially for those who are already engaged with the journey, who are experiencing attacks along the way. It's like you've been ambushed along the way. And you know what your bandits look like, those things that come and ambush you. Lord, I pray that you'd make us alert, wise, fearless, that we will not succumb to the schemes of the evil one and give up in despair and in fear. Give us the courage of David. He'll take his catty and drop Goliath. Give us the courage that comes from knowing that we are loved. Because you've helped us with lions and bears, so why won't you help us with this Goliath? So Lord, bless us as we just set out on a fresh uh, day in this journey that we're on. I bless you. I bless every one of you in the name of the Lord. I bless you this day. I believe the Father wants you to know that He, he delights in declaring His favor and His blessing on your life. That His, his plans are for, you, for your welfare. It's going to turn out for good. And even like Joseph, you might have to wait for it. But accept delayed gratification. It'll be worth the wait. It'll be worth the wait. We bless you with patience. We bless you with camaraderie, with fellowship along the way. God doesn't want you to be a lone ranger. We bless you with Wilsons. People you can relate to, who will walk with you and hear you out when you need to talk about it. We won't shut you down. We bless you with huge amounts of patience. We bless you with courage to take on fresh steps on a daily basis as the seasons become right. We break the sluggishness that has settled on many people in the name of grace. We set you free from sloppy agape into courageous faith that's based on the, on the abundance of God's grace in your life. We bless you with that. We bless you with courage tonight. Woodstock Community Church, let this be a birthplace of courage. Change the city. Change this nation. You're not an accident. Some of you might have come along here. You seem like by God's coincidences. But you're here for a purpose. 
in the big scheme of things, in God's plan, here at the right time, the right place, God wants to do something in and through you. Love Him more than what He wants to do. And then He will do what He wants to do. Love who God is. So that He can be who He wants to be. In, amongst, and through you. But God is calling for a courageous people. We are living in a challenging season. And He's calling for people who will stand up and make a difference. Not out of bravado, but out of grace. I just feel like the Father's heart is, is to call you out as a community. To be courageous in grace. You're going to be world shakers, history makers. You're going to create where there's not yet been. And you look for a purpose way beyond just finding a comfortable lifestyle. You look for a purpose that is out of this world and wants to be translated into this world. The purpose of the kingdom of God. And you're citizens of that kingdom for, forever. But it starts now. And He wants you to live the presence of the future. Live it now. Right here in the streets of Woodstock. The, the roads of South Africa. The world in which we live. Bless you, Cal and Jess, as you go. The Sami people in Norway. Bless, bless every one of you as you travel and do stuff. You're citizens of God's kingdom. Be courageous. Be change agents. So we bless you, Father. We thank you, Father, that you've called us to live in a way that brings light and hope to this world. Amen. Tell your neighbor, the best is yet to be. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dad. Guys, I just want to uh, prompt you to go to Lynn's house tomorrow if you're not a man. Because Lynn carries a lot of the Lord. And uh, it's going to be a very special thing. There's no agenda. The only thing is you can't be a man. And you just go there at 7. I'll send an email with the address. Anyone is welcome. And before Kerr leaves on a long journey pilgrimage, we're going to lay hands on her. So come stand here, please. Um, she's going to San Pellegrino, where they, those that, where they get the water from. She's going to walk the route, the uh, Camino in Spain. Not San Pellegrino, it's in Italy. Thanks, G. Um, so come and gather around Kerr, lay hands on her, and... Thanks for being here. See you soon.